Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. The Strategic Development Fund has so far allocated £136 million of church commissioners' money to projects that it is hoped will reverse the pattern of decline in church attendance. In a two-part investigation published last week and this week, Madeleine Davies has been tracking down what the money has been spent on and has asked how this corresponds with the church's hopes. Madeleine joins me now. Madeleine, first of all, just give us a recap, or for those who aren't familiar with this, about what these Strategic Development Fund or SDF grants are all about. How did they start? What's their purpose? So this was started a few years ago as part of the Renewal and Reform Programme launched by the Church of England. And the idea um, was that we needed to um, address numerical decline in the church and that part of the answer um, to that would be changing the way that the central bodies of the church distribute funding to dioceses. Uh, so there was this idea that the, the current way that that was being done was um, subsidising decline and kind of punishing growth. And so instead, we'd have these two new streams of funding going from the commissioners to the diocese. One of them is low-income community funding, um, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, um, which replaces the funding that went to um, sort of more deprived dioceses. And this second strand, the Strategic Development Fund, is something which dioceses have to compete for. So you can get a grant from them, but you need to demonstrate that the project that you're going to use the money on um, will in some way result in growth. Um, or sort of better health in your diocese. Um, so we've been looking at where um, some of those grants have gone and sort of early achievements. Can you give us a flavour of where some of the projects were, what, what some of them are? And they're all over the Church of England, aren't they? Yes, yeah, so I think it's just four dioceses now that haven't received at least one grant, although there's quite a big um, variety in, in terms of exactly how much um, some dioceses have received. For some it's a few hundred thousand and for some it's several million. So there's quite a variation. Um, I think one of the messages that's coming out from the Archbishop's Council is that it's quite early to evaluate the success of these projects. Um, I think the earliest one goes back to about 2014. Um, so they sort of promise that there will be um, an independent, robust evaluation which will be shared um, with bodies like the General Synod, but their message is at the moment it's a bit early to evaluate. Um, however, they do um, report that about 80% of projects are on track, so clearly some kind of measurement is happening. Um, and we know that some of the projects have submitted um, evaluations to the church commissioners. It's just a question of whether those are actually going to be made public. Um, so I think so. some of the, uh, the um, projects that we looked at last week, um, some were around um, reaching people in their 20s and 30s, some were around working with children and families. Um, we also looked at a project in the Diocese of Chelmsford, which um, was called the Turnaround Project, which was um, trying to... Um, really help parishes that might be struggling financially and also in terms of numbers. Um, and that was an example of one where there has been an evaluation, but um, there aren't plans at the moment to make that public. Do you get a sense from talking to people um, who are heading up these projects that there's quite a lot of pressure to sort of show results in, in quite a tangible way? I don't think I'd describe it as pressure. I think people have talked about um, 
actually kind of welcoming a degree of accountability um, so it can be helpful to have a timeline and to be asked to what extent you're meeting the the deadlines of that timeline um, certainly um, somebody I spoke to for this week's feature in um, Bath and Wells um, had some really nuanced thoughts on measurement actually but but did talk about how it was quite gratifying to have a timeline and to be able to say yes you know we have met this target um, in time so I don't think I really got a sense of pressure and I think there is sort of an attitude um, on the strategic investment board which was set up by the commissioners to um, allocate grants there is quite an attitude of um, we expect some things to fail we wouldn't be taking enough risks if everything worked um, and things need to be given time to turn around so one of the reasons that was given for not um, publishing evaluation too early was that things that are perhaps not on track or aren't working need to be given an opportunity to um, be turned around and improved and I think there's a bit of a nervousness that um, the church can be quite critical and if you hold up individuals or individual projects as having not worked, um, that that could be quite morale sapping for a diocese perhaps and, and some of the way in which the conversation happened could get quite critical and quite personal so I think there's that concern as well. And you, you quote some criticism of this whole scheme in your, in your articles. Um, there was a lay representative of Liverpool Diocese on the Synod saying... Um, money could have been spent to mitigate pressure on parish share, why are millions being thrown at these other projects? And someone else said if any priest was given a children's work and evangelist and an administrator, they would be able to make the church grow. So I think a message from the Archbishop's Council has been that um, these two strands, low-income communities funding, strategic development funding, they do make up a small proportion of the overall economy of the church, it's about 3%. So their argument would be it's actually a fairly small pot of money when you look at the overall picture. Um, and they've also been quite robust. I think John Spence, who's the chair of the Finance Committee, was saying, look, this was never promised as kind of being equally distributed. The, the premise was always that diocese would have to compete for it and you'd have to demonstrate that your project was likely to achieve certain results. Um, so there's never been a sense that it's going to be kind of equally distributed. You do have to compete for it. I think we've got a letter this week in response to last week's feature which does that raise that question about um, let's look at overall where is where is money going? Is it reaching deprived areas? Is it funding ministry in those areas? So I think um, Keith's point at General Synod was you always have to point out that money spent somewhere is money not spelt, that sort of spent in other places. And he was really questioning, given that diocese, certain dioceses and parishes are under enormous financial strain. Um, as another priest pointed out, that can be quite difficult if you look down the road and see a single church receiving a million pounds and you're struggling to meet parish share. I think naturally that's probably going to raise some questions. This week you're really looking at resource churches specifically. Um, can you tell us a bit about them? I think sometimes there's been an impression that sort of the bulk of strategic development funding goes to these resource churches, which isn't the case. But they do, I think about a third of bids do um, mention resource churches. So it is a significant strand. Can you just remind us what a resource church is? Yeah, so I mean, the, the concept some people have argued is an ancient one. So I read a booklet that suggested it goes right back to the, the Minster model. And it's a very old idea about a sort of central church being a base from which you sent people out to resource and minister to an area. But um, the sense in which we're using it at the moment is quite recent. I think it dates back to 
maybe 2015. Um, and the Archbishop's Council suggests that a resource church um, will be someone that provides resources for the diocese as a whole, revitalising mission, producing ordinance, starting new congregations and supporting parishes in other ways. So the idea is that rather than kind of sucking resources in it's supposed to be a generous model that gives out to other churches in the area and really kind of revitalizes mission um so that's that's sort of the ideal that, that's how they should be working and this um church revitalization trust you write about um that they're behind some of the resource churches yeah so um i think a lot of people will be familiar with the fact that a number of um city centre church plants have emanated from Holy Trinity Brompton in the Diocese of London. Um, they are now the home of the Church Revitalis Revitalisation Trust, which is a charity chaired by the vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton, um, and with a board of trustees, um, many of whom are sort of from very corporate backgrounds. Um, and they have a very ambitious target, which is um, 100 city centre churches by 2028. Um, That's resource churches yeah. in city centres. So I don't think the idea is that all of them would be funded by SDF, but there are connections. So the Diocese of London won an SDF grant, and some of that will be used to train planting curates at HDB who will start city centre church plants. So there is quite a close relationship between the diocese, SDF, and Holy Trinity Brompton. I think one of the questions is whether you define all of them as an HDB church plant. So there's been cases where HDB itself has described something as a church plant, but the diocese might say this is a diocesan resource church and we've appointed um, an incumbent or a curate trained HDB, but they wouldn't necessarily define it as um, an HDB church plant. So there, there's sometimes um, a difference in the language that is used, but I think it's fair to say that a number of the city centre church plants do have a connection to HDB and to the Church Revitalisation Trust and they are being led um, by people who have trained um, or, or sort of done a, a curacy at HDB, so yeah. there's definitely a connection there. Yeah, they have, and they they are always invited by the bishop, by the diocese. It's not HDB sort of marching into town to set something up. Yes. And that said, what is the appeal? Do you think for bishops, say, or the diocese about what's going on at HDB? Are they are they got some kind of magic formula that they're training these people in, and and does it export a particular kind of churchmanship and model? Yeah, so I think the the message has always been that um, a diocesan bishop invites um, a church plant. Um, it's not a kind of colonial model. It's supposed to be invited in. Um, the message from the Diocese of London has been that there is demand from dioceses for planting curates who are trained at HDB. So um, when I asked... Um, why the, the Diocese of London grant was being used to train, I think, 10 of the 15 at HDB. The message was that that was a demand coming from diocese. Um, so I think um, it's probably fair to say that that does produce planting curates from a particular evangelical tradition. And I think sort of some of the questions that have been asked are um, if that church plant um, is started in a church from a different tradition, perhaps a liberal Catholic one, um, and there's an idea about keeping those two traditions alive in some degree. So, for example, keeping um, a more sacramental service going alongside an evangelical one. Um, is that incumbent or that planting curate um, open to inhabiting a different tradition and to honouring that tradition alongside the new one? So that's probably one of the things that, that's come out in the feature. And, and you've got a case study in this week's feature, which is in Plymouth. So there's a very um, lively and 
seemingly quite successful resource church, St. Yep. Matthias. Yes, um, so this was an example that was highlighted in the annual report of the Strategic Investment Board, um, which produces this annual report about um, the progress of SDF and also the low-income communities funding money. Um, so they mentioned that the, the, the church was now full of several hundred people and it had been um, a, a congregation of around 50. Um, so what we really wanted to look at there was, um, I guess, the source of the growth. I think one of the criticisms that you sometimes get around church plants or resource churches is a question around um, where do you get several hundred people? Are they um, new to Christianity or new to church or have they actually moved from neighbouring churches um, either local Anglican churches or other denominations so we wanted to look a bit about about that question that's kind of always been denied by I think sort of the Archbishop's Council and Diocese would always always make the case that it's much more than transfer growth that's happening but it's certainly a sort of a concern or a question that we've come across. And he's basically incumbent at St Matthias and Reverend Ollie Ryder and he shared some data with you I think. Yes, so they carried out um, a survey of their congregation in May and they had 312 responses um, and that suggested that 14% had transferred from other Anglican parishes, 28% from other denominations, 20% were new Christians defined as having come to faith within the past three years and 43% were either new to church, returning to church or new to the area. Um, So that suggested that there is some transfer growth which has been borne out in other surveys Um, but it's not solely down to just sort of moving people around. And then you also spoke to um, um, the Reverend Tim Smith, priest in charge of St Jude's Plymouth, which is nearby. Um, What's his take? So I think what this, one of the things that this story illustrates is that it may seem to an incumbent of a resource church that um, relatively few people have transferred, but actually for a neighbouring parish, which might not have 500 people, a few dozen people is, is actually quite a significant loss yeah. if, if they move to the resource church. He sort of calculated that in the 18 months after St Matthias was sort of relaunched as a resource church, um, about 30% of people, 30% of income, 75% of children and 90% of teenagers um, were lost. Um, and some of that was to um, St Matthias and some, um, he said, was that the church didn't seem to be able to become the church they'd hoped and they simply moved away elsewhere. So I think one of the points that he highlighted was that that some of those were left had been quite critical to the life of the church um, because they had um, contributed financially amongst other things. And so one of the consequences of that loss was that it was no longer possible to fund a really important youth minister post. Um, So I think something that comes out from that story is, is perhaps the importance of evaluating the impact of a resource church, particularly on a neighboring church of a similar tradition um, where there might be more of a pull than say um, a very different maybe sort of conservative evangelical or forward in faith parish where um, the pull would perhaps be less strong to, to join the resource church. And you quote the Reverend Tim Smith as saying um, the model of the new resource church on arrival in a city seems to be massive publicity prior to a launch service huge exciting and thriving church on day one lots of free food music sound and lighting that no other church in their vicinity could ever match with their budgets and um, but that initial mass of people have to come from somewhere i think he's sort of articulating that that question of um sort of if we simultaneously argue that we don't want people to move we don't want to see um transfer growth um which is also something that hdb has argued their message would be 
um, we're not trying to draw people from other churches, then there can be a tension between that and um, yeah, all, all the resources and um, the momentum, I guess, behind a new launch. Um, I know sort of there, there's a feeling that, the, that these churches become quite sort of concentrated places of resource, money, energy, attention. And um, is that sort of intention, intention with the idea that there's no desire to sort of draw people away from other churches or concentrate people of a certain demographic in one church? And it seems um, uh, Reverend Richard England writes in our comment section this week on a tour, very fascinating article, he, about a tour he did of four resource churches around the country and what he learned there. And, um, and one of, he does address that criticism about transfer growth and he, he says, well, that's never the intention of the planting team. And I think that seems pretty clear. No one goes thinking, I want to steal some mm. worshippers from this church down the road. But I guess an uh, unintended consequence might be that that happens. That was one of the questions that I put to John Spence from the Archbishop's Council because that was very much the argument that he put as he couldn't understand why any diocese would intend for that to happen. So I think there's the question of unintended consequences. And I think there's also a sense um, in which maybe we can question whether a concentration of people, um, there is an incentive to do that. So, um, I, I mean, it could be argued that actually drawing together a mass of people often far younger than the, the, the Church of England average does create a sort of concentration of energy um, for mission. Um, it's also a very... Um, attractive um, proposition if you've got a, a background broadly of decline in statistics for mission to be able to say um, we actually have a church you know full of hundreds of people including lots of young people and students um, they're doing an enormous amount of, of good things um, I think that that's a really attractive model so I think the idea that there's no incentive to concentrate people needs to be questioned slightly. But of course the city centre isn't the only resource church model is that right? Yeah, so we have focused on that in this feature, but um, I mentioned that about a third of the SDF bids mention resource churches or resourcing churches. And um, the the booklet that I mentioned, the growth booklet by Canon Alan Bing, looks quite specifically at how it might work in a more rural context or in a market town. Um, so we are seeing examples um, which are quite different um, to the city centre model. Um, I mentioned the kind of Minster model, um, which, which might work in more rural areas. Um, also kind of we're seeing it in, in sort of smaller town centres or suburban areas. So I think we are sort of moving away from just a city centre um, near a large um, student population model. Um, I think maybe sort of more early days for those ones. Um, but it's definitely being explored in lots of different contexts. And I think we're also seeing more women leading resource churches. I think um, often the city centre ones are, are led by men, um, but we're seeing more women being appointed to those roles, which I think is really interesting. And um, also kind of expanding it into different traditions. So a recent SDF grant was um, given to Preston Minster and they're exploring their um, a resource church model in both an evangelical and Anglo-Catholic model and, and doing that alongside one another. So I think it'd be interesting to see how that works out as well in the Diocese of Blackburn. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, 
plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode. Thank you.